Hey, will you uh, bow your heads with me? Let's pray as uh, we continue this morning. God, we thank you. Uh, we can come in here. We can laugh. Uh, we, I, I thank you, Lord, for this church. It's just so much fun uh, being a part of this church and, and this family, and uh, we are so grateful uh, for all those who serve, all those who are coming, for those that are maybe here for the first time uh, today, Lord. And uh, we pray, Lord, we want, we want to set our hearts and our minds on you today. Uh, we want to just kind of step out of everything that's maybe going on around uh, and in our lives right now uh, to really be here with you and to hear from you. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for these gifts that have been given. We pray that you would take them and multiply them and use them uh, in extraordinary ways. And as we look to Jesus today, as we look to your Son, uh, the Son of Man, Lord, we pray that, uh, uh, again, you would just open up our minds to see things uh, for our own lives, Lord, and how we can walk as Jesus walked, as uh, we can live like him. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor here at, at Genesis Church, and uh, we are glad to ha have you here with us today. And uh, as we get started today, I want to ask you, um, what, what, what's the one thing uh, that maybe you think of that immediately comes to your mind uh, when you think of the word obedience? All right, I mean, if, if you hear the word obedience, I mean, what, what sort of images, what, uh, what, what kind of perception of that word, uh, what other things come to mind? I mean, maybe for some of you, when you think of the word uh, obedience, you think of what you teach a dog. All right, you think about the training uh, that you do with your dog, and so you, you reward your dog with good behavior, and you uh, discipline your dog uh, when there's bad behavior, you know, and you do this until the creature gets to this place where they obey every command. Uh, that you give them, or uh, maybe when you think of the word obedience, maybe the image that comes to your mind is your wedding, and uh, you think about that day where you stood before your family and friends, and you promised to love and honor and obey, uh, or at least your wife did. I mean, at least she did. Uh, she did that. Or uh, I also know and realize that when we speak of the word obedience, especially if you're new uh, to, to church or Genesis, and depending on your experience with uh, church or religion or faith in the past, I mean, maybe when you think of obedience, you, you get this image of a God who is just continuously patrolling uh, your every move, just waiting uh, for you to mess up. There's a, a church in North Carolina that had some fun illustrating that perception of God and obedience. Uh, check this out. Listen closely. Do you think he can fly? Here he comes. Well, all right. Now it's time for me to tell you all what you've done wrong since I last saw you. And don't try and hide because I'm Jesus. I will find you. Let's start with you, Peter. You lied to your mother the other day. Andrew, you said a naughty word when you hit your finger with the hammer. James, you laughed at him when he hit his finger. Moving right along, John, you drank too much wine the other night. Not way too much, just enough to make me angry. Matthew, we fell asleep in church, didn't we? Yes, we did. And Thomas, you were slow dancing a little too close with that girlfriend of yours. Let's see, and you... I forgot your name, so you're off the hook for now. Philip, um, I saw you smoking a cigarette behind that big rock the other day. Thaddeus, I hate to say I saw you stick up your middle finger at someone who cut you off when you were riding your camel. Benjamin, you aren't wearing your WWJD bracelet. Jacob, I don't mind you saying my name, but not after you stub your toe. Frank, you know what you did. I just can't repeat it because I'm Jesus. 
All right, all you sinners, come with me. It's time to pay the piper. Man, it was only one cigarette. I heard that. Look at all these sinners. All right, listen up. Listen to me. I'm Jesus. Listen to what I have to say. I have done many wonderful things. I have healed many people of diseases. I have performed many miracles so that I can tell you this. You're all evil. There is no hope. That's it. Thank you. Well, I don't know. Maybe uh, that's totally wrong, but I hope that's not your image of Jesus in any way. And uh, if it is uh, your image of Jesus or of obedience, uh, maybe your best hope is that, uh, well, you're thinking that he'll forget uh, your name too. But uh, uh, that, that's not the message that we want to share today at all. I mean, we're in week four of our series called The Son of Man. And uh, what we've been doing is talking about the life and the ministry uh, of Jesus. What we're uh, doing is, uh, with this series, we're really emphasizing the humanity uh, of Jesus. We want to look at Jesus' humanity, and uh, we said week one that even though Jesus is fully God, that during his life on this earth, what he did is he veiled his deity uh, for us so that he could become fully human uh, at the very same time. And so as the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, that while fully God, uh, Jesus made himself nothing. He, he took on the very nature of a servant uh, being made in human likeness. He veiled his deity so that he could become uh, fully human uh, for us too. But here's a question that we're wrestling with. And uh, maybe a question that you've been wrestling with, and I know that some of our connection groups, questions like these uh, have come up, and it's the question that if Jesus veiled his deity and became hu fully human for us, I mean, if he, if he set aside his God card, how did he do the things he did? I mean, the Jesus that we read about in the Gospels, how did he do the things that he did? How did he perform those miracles and teach with authority and make the disciples the way that he did? I mean, it really is a mystery. And here's what we want to learn from Jesus. Here's what we want to take from the real Jesus, that in his humanity, uh, I want you to see, what we want to see is that Jesus set priorities. Uh, he set priorities in how he used his time. Jesus uh, relied on resources that were made available to him, these very resources that are available to you and me. And as we said in week one, Jesus relied on these same resources that are available to you and me today as followers of Christ, as men and women and students. And those six resources uh, really are the centerpiece of what we're talking about over these eight weeks together. I've got a slide here uh, to illustrate this for you. These are the priorities, the resources uh, that Jesus was relying on. Two weeks ago, our campus pastor, Ben, talked about uh, the Holy Spirit and how Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, how the, the Son of Man lived by the Holy Spirit. And when he left the earth, uh, he sent the Spirit to us. Uh, and so that means that if you're in Christ, if uh, you've trusted Christ as your Savior, uh, the same Spirit that was in Jesus is in you today. I mean, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is available to you uh, and me today. Last week, we talked about another resource, this resource of prayer, and we talked about how Jesus was always in prayer. I mean, Jesus showed us that the primary way that we cultivate intimacy with God is through prayer. And so uh, there are more than 30 occasions in the New Testament where we see Jesus 
uh, praying. The other resources that we'll hit on in the coming weeks are obedience, which we're talking about today, uh, the Word of God, exalting the Father, and relationships. And the really cool thing is that these form an acronym that's easy to remember. It's just simply HS Power or Holy Spirit uh, Power for us. Uh, this acronym that might help you in, in kind of thinking about, again, these resources, these priorities that are available to Jesus. But I don't know about you, but maybe, maybe if you look at a list like this, uh, you've got some questions. Maybe when you look like at this list, you see, okay, I, I can make sense of a couple of these, but there really are a few that kind of stand out. It's almost kind of like Sesame Street, if you remember on Sesame Street, where they would maybe put four pictures up, and they would say, you know, one of these is not like the other. You know, one of these uh, doesn't belong. I mean, as we discuss obedience uh, today, maybe you're like me and you look at the word obedience and you think to yourself, okay, I don't really understand how that's a resource. I don't under, understand how that, that's a priority. I mean, uh, how, how is it something that you rely on? I mean, obedience is just something uh, you do, right? Well, maybe that's why we have difficulty uh, obeying as Jesus obeyed. See, for Jesus, uh, obedience wasn't just about following a set of rules. Obedience was all about pleasing his Father, it was all about doing his Father's work. In fact, as we talk about this topic this morning, I want you to keep this in mind. As we, as we think about what it means to live like Jesus, to walk like Jesus, it will help us to remember that obedience is God's love language. Um, obedience is God's love language. Now, when I say that, I don't know if you understand this concept of love language or not, but a number of years back, uh, an author by the name of Gary Chapman wrote this book, uh, and the idea is that every one of us uh, feels loved in a different way. Uh, the way we've been created, the way that we've been wired together, we've all to love in a different way or to feel loved in a different way. And this is especially true in marriage. Uh, and, and so the book was written especially for spouses, this idea that uh, uh, men, if your wife's love language is quality time, well, it's important for you to realize that. It's important for you to realize how important those date nights are with her or spending the day with her and having conversation with her and uh, listening to you know, the whole story or to all of the details, every bit of it. Uh, or if her love language is acts of service, well, then you realize just what you're helping uh, around the house or with children uh, can really mean to her and how she'll feel appreciated and loved through that. And you hope that you, she remembers that your love language is physical touch, all right? Again, we, we all have these love languages, these ways that we uh, feel love. But as we try to live like Jesus, it will help us to remember that obedience is God's love language. Uh, and we see it in Jesus' own words, like in John chapter 10, Verse 17, when John writes, the reason uh, my father loves me, he, he's writing these words of Jesus. Jesus says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Verse 8, he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. See, it's important for us to realize that Jesus' life was not forcefully taken from him. Uh, the Son of Man willingly gave up his life out of love. For his father, Jesus said, I, I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And so Jesus obeyed and it pleased God. See, obedience is God's love language. And so um, as with all of these resources or, or priorities, um, the resource itself is not the goal. I mean, the goal of all of this, the, the goal of prayer is not just so that you learn to pray more and that you pray often. The, the goal of spending time in God's Word is not that, well, let me see how many verses I can memorize or how many questions I can answer from the Word of God. As important as that, all of all of these priorities and the way that Jesus used them was to further develop an intimate relationship with His Heavenly Father. And so even as we talk about obedience today, please know that obedience itself is not the goal. 
The goal is intimacy with God. The goal is to grow in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Obedience is one resource we rely on to help us get there, to really understand Him and know Him better and love Him in even greater ways. And so with this in mind, I want to take a look at a few different examples that we see of obedience in the life of Jesus. And so if you've got your Bible, uh, I want to invite you to take it and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 42. If you use something like the YouVersion app on your phone, uh, you can go there with us. Or if you want to use one of the Bibles uh, around the room, you can take it and turn to uh, page 716. Uh, We want to begin in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 42, we'll have the uh, words here on the screen for you as well. Uh, Let let me begin for us here. Luke chapter 2, verse 42, it says, when he was 12 years old, so we're uh, talking about Jesus here, Luke records these details of Jesus' life. It says they, that would be his family, so Mary and Joseph, maybe other uh, children, Jesus, of course, they went up to the festival. Now, there were three uh, major festivals in the Jewish faith that uh, people would pilgrimage to uh, Jerusalem in order to celebrate. Uh, Now, we know that uh, this particular festival, the most important of them was Passover uh, that they were traveling to, and as Luke records, this was according to the custom. All right, that these families would, would travel there together. And I, I just think that we see even in Jesus' family and even in his earthly parents, there was this faithfulness. There was this uh, fear of, of God, this desire to serve uh, the Lord. They were modeling the way uh, for their son Jesus. And I just think that's a great reminder for us parents, you know, even as we're raising kids in this world today, that you are modeling the way for your children, the way that uh, you are growing in your relationship with God, the priority that you have in your family to be in worship together uh, on Sundays, what you do with your time, how you love uh, your neighbors, how you extend forgiveness and grace to others. We, we are modeling the way for our children. They are looking to you. They are going to look to us And they're going to live by that example. And so Jesus' parents uh, were doing that for them. Verse 43 says, after the festival was over, uh, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Verse 44, thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, and then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. Now, if you've ever had that moment where you've maybe misplaced your child or your child uh, disappears for just a moment in a crowd, you know that moment of panic. Now, I can't help but look at this and think, okay, what's their deal? Like, I mean, how in the world do you lose your kid uh, for a day and not realize that, well, often in these days when they traveled, especially for these festivals, they would travel in large groups or large caravans. Women and children would typically uh, travel up towards the front of the caravan. The men would typically uh, stay behind toward the back of the caravan. And because Jesus was a boy of 12, uh, certainly there was some maturity there. Certainly there was some responsibility that was being extended. And so for Mary and Joseph, they probably just expected that he was moving around in this caravan from the front to the back. And so if he's not with dad, well, he must be with his mom. And if he's not with me, well, he must be with his dad. Well, finally come to this point where he's not there. And so they're looking for him. Verse 45, it says, when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, all right, so three days of searching for Jesus, where do they find him? They found him in the temple courts. Now, what does Luke record? Here's what I want you to see what Jesus was doing with this time. Notice that even at the age of 12, he was sitting amongst the teacher's listening to them and asking them a question. Certainly, Passover would have attracted the greatest rabbis, the most well-respected rabbis. And Jesus is there in the temple courts. And what's he's doing? He's listening to them. He's listening to them teach, and he's asking 
them questions. And it says, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, just a quick note here. What do you think Jesus knew about himself at the age of 12? What, what, what do you think he knew about his life? Or what do, you, what do you think he knew about his relationship with the Father and with God or even about his birth? I, I'd be willing to believe that certainly Mary and Joseph had told him the story. Have, hey, here's, here's, how, here's how your birth came to be. And maybe told that story more than once. And so Jesus is kind of processing. The Son of Man is processing that information. And, and certainly he, he's got this, this deep relationship uh, with the Lord, you know, even at the age of 12. And so he's processing what happened in the past and what he's experienced in his life up to this point. And now he's listening to the rabbis teach from the Old Testament and he's putting pieces together and he's probably asking appropriate questions. And everybody was amazed at his understanding and answers. Verse 48 says, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? And I got to believe that she might have raised her voice a bit. But uh, I also have some sympathy for Mary too because do you think she was given any, any sort of instruction manual on how to raise the Son of God? All right? Probably not. I mean, certainly she knew there was something very special about the birth of this boy and she had been watching him grow up. But man, I got to believe there were some challenges and some questions even for her of, okay, how do you raise you know, the son of man, how do you raise the son of God? And so she says, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And look at Jesus' reply. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? You know, again, even at the age of 12, Jesus understanding that his relationship with the father was the most important relationship that he had. He was relying, he was dependent on that relationship. He said, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Again, Jesus was understanding more and more about who he was and about his father and about his own identity. And then watch what happens when his earthly parents say it's time to go. Verse 51 says, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. See, Jesus understood that being obedient to God also meant being obedient uh, to the authority figures that God had placed over him in his life, including his parents. So he was obedient to them out of his obedience to God. You know, the next time we see obedience in the life of Jesus is when he shows up at the Jordan River where John the Baptist is. We look at this uh, passage together last week. Turn over to, uh, turn back to page uh, 676 to Matthew chapter 3, uh, if you would. Page 676 uh, in, in the Blue Bibles there or Matthew chapter 3. Matthew records, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. Look at verse 15. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And in other words, Jesus is saying, I, I have to do this in order to obey my Father. And then John consented. Hey, don't miss this. I mean, Jesus was sinless. Uh, he, he didn't need forgiveness in his life. He didn't need to be baptized, but accepted baptism as a way of acknowledging his father's own holiness. I mean, he accepted baptism as a way of, of demonstrating obedience to his father. By the way, uh, baptism is a, is a command for you and me too. Uh, it's a command uh, for, for each of us that have put our faith in Christ. It's not an elective. It's, it's not a, 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 an option for us. I mean, it's a matter of obedience. I mean, that's why Peter said in, in Acts uh, chapter 2, you know, that, that's why Scripture is clear when Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. 
And so I just think that's a great reminder to you and me that if you've trusted Christ with your life and you haven't been baptized yet, you need to do that. You need to take that next step in your life and in your walk with Christ. And we're going to celebrate baptisms uh, together here on November the 1st, and you can sign up through our app or through our website. Uh, talk to one of us uh, from the staff afterwards. We'd love uh, to talk to you more about baptism. Let's, let's look at a couple more examples of obedience. Turn back uh, to p- uh, page 752 or John chapter 14. 752 or John chapter 14. Uh, John 14, 31, Jesus said, but he, and in this context, he's referring to Satan here, or the prince of the world. Jesus says, but he, Satan, comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father. Jesus says, I love the Father. Remember, obedience is God's love language. Jesus said, I choose obedience. Obedience is a priority for me, and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Jesus, in his humanity, was perfectly obedient for us. He, he was willing to face death out of his love for his father. Let's look at one more together. Turn over to page 819. Uh, referred to this verse just a moment ago. We saw it again week one, uh, but page 819, Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 8. Uh, the apostle Paul writing here, uh, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about this one who came and veiled his deity so that he could become fully human for us. Uh, Paul writes, being found in appearance as a man. Here's what Jesus did for us. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus accepted obedience out of love for his father. And even in the toughest moment of his life, Jesus was obedient to his father's plan. Even as he prayed from the garden of Gethsemane, Father, take this cup from me. Would you take this cup from me? But he says, but not my will, your will be done. I I want us to be sure that we're not assuming that Jesus came to this earth just automatically programmed with what he was supposed to do, that like he was some sort of robot or something. I mean, if that were true, well, then the scriptures wouldn't be true when they said that he was like us in every way. He was like us in every way, yet he did not sin. You know, instead, as we read through the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, we see time and time again that Jesus chose obedience. He had to choose obedience. When faced with temptation, he always chose obedience. And if we're going to obey like Jesus, we have to understand not just why Jesus obeyed, you know, as a way of developing that intimacy with his father, but how Jesus obeyed too. And we get some insight to that in places like Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, where the writer says, son though he was, he, and again, he's talking about Jesus, learned obedience from what he suffered. See, that's interesting. That's fascinating when you think about that, that he learned obedience from what he suffered. See, the temptations were real for Jesus, just as they are for you and me. The temptations were real for him. The battle for victory was real, but where Adam failed, Jesus prevailed. You know, Adam chose disobedience in the garden, but the human Jesus shows us what it means to choose obedience, and he chose it perfectly. The scriptures say that like us, Jesus had to learn obedience. As he grew, he had to learn obedience And that means that he learned obedience from what he suffered. Now, you know, often when we think of Jesus and when we think of suffering, we go directly to the cross and we think about those moments dying on the cross. And there's no doubt that Jesus suffered on the cross and and he did that for you and me. I mean, he died a death that I deserved and he suffered because of what 
I deserve, and he did it out of love. He did it out of obedience for his father. But Scripture also reminds us that even during his life on the earth, he was a man that was familiar with suffering. In fact, Psalm 69, which is a messianic psalm uh, that predicted uh, Jesus' life hundreds of years before he was born, says this about him in Psalm 69, starting in verse 7. Uh, The psalmist writes, uh, again, uh, looking ahead to Jesus, he says, For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. He says, I I am a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my mother's uh, children. He says, For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. He says, When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I am the song of of the drunkards. Think about this for a moment. Certainly, Jesus was born into some very tenuous circumstances. I mean, his mom and dad weren't married, and and although an angel appeared to both Mary uh, and Joseph to tell them what was happening, the angel didn't appear, as far as we know it, to the rest of the people in their very small town. And so, while Mary most likely, probably, told Jesus about the circumstances around his birth, can you imagine a crowd of people? Can you imagine a community that mocked Jesus, that mocked this young boy and this young boy that grew to a teen. I mean, even perhaps the elders of the community, those who sit at the gates as the psalmist records. Psalm 69 says he was a foreigner even to his own family. What do you think that means? What does it mean for us that he was a foreigner to his own family? I mean, could it mean that, well, he didn't look like the rest of his brothers and sisters? I mean, again, if he wasn't of his father, Joseph, is it possible that maybe he looked different from the rest of them. If he, if he was perfect and sinless all through his life, well, that means he was as a young boy too. And so what did it mean for his siblings to look at him and see him always making the right choice and never maybe disciplined or getting in trouble? You know, we see the example there when he was in 12, but how did they treat him because of it? What sort of reputation did his family hold on to for the rest of the days of their life, especially Jesus, you know, being the product of sorts of, of this scandalous uh, birth. Couple that with you know what people knew about his story, and you can see how he suffered. Now think about this too. If you think back to that occasion in Luke chapter two, the temple uh, when Jesus was twelve, that's the last time we ever hear the name of Joseph referenced. And so many scholars believe that he potentially may have passed not too long after that, maybe while Jesus was a teen or at least a very young man. And if that's the case, well then Jesus, as the oldest, likely had to take on uh, kind of that uh, headship of the house, you know, that that leadership in the home and. Well, as a result, if he's already enduring so much of this, what sort of a stranger was he even to his own brothers and sisters? And top that off, I mean, here's a guy, and even at a young age, that is cultivating and developing this very deep, intimate relationship with God. And many people of that day, even the more religious ones, probably didn't get that, probably didn't understand that. And so is it likely that Jesus suffered because of his relationship with God too? You see, he suffered in his obedience. He suffered all through his life. He suffered in that obedience. And you know what you and I do too? We suffer when we seek to obey. Uh, how, how do we suffer when we obey? Check this out just uh, as an example, as a way uh, of illustrating this. When we're tempted, uh, when you're tempted in your walk, when you're tempted in your day, when you're tempted this afternoon, you always have a choice. When you're tempted, you have a choice to obey or you have a choice to disobey. And uh, I want you to see this from the disobedience side. When we choose to disobey, the truth is that we benefit uh, in the short term. 
Uh, you can say that when you choose to obey, uh, there is some instant uh, gratification. There is some instant pleasure that comes from that. I mean, let's be real, right? Can we just be completely honest? I mean, in many ways, I mean, sin can be fun, right? Uh, there, there is pleasure that can follow our sin and our choices, and that's why I think it's so rampant in our society today, uh, people choosing what they believe to be the very best for themselves. Uh, in every society since the Garden of Eden, in fact, uh, looking all the way back to Moses, the writer of Hebrews records this of Moses. It says that he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I mean, what a great reminder uh, for us that the pleasures of sin are fleeting, all right? But disobedience, if we go back to that slide for just a moment, disobedience in the long term, what it does is it leads to long-term suffering. There may be some instant gratification. There may be some instant pleasure that follows our disobedience, but ultimately where it leads to for us is long-term suffering in a greater way. Uh, Paul records in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, uh, he says this, for the wages of sin is death. Here's, here's the long-term results of sin for us. It's death. Disobedience or sin, again, leads to short-term gain and long-term pain, short-term pleasure, and long-term suffering. I mean, we know this intuitively, all right? I mean, we even have this phrase uh, that, that reminds us of this. Think about it from a food perspective. Um, a moment on the lips is worth a lifetime on the hips, right? I mean, you've heard that before, or nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. I, I think about the day that I cut off Mountain Dew uh, from my life forever. I, I used to enjoy an iced cold Mountain Dew, maybe two regularly each day. I used to keep a little refrigerator in my office, and one day I just decided I, I got to be done because here's what I realized. I realized that while it tasted good in the moment uh, going down, some of you may adamantly disagree, but while it tasted good going down, about an hour later, I didn't feel so good about myself. I mean, there was, there was nothing that ever ultimately felt good about drinking uh, that Mountain Dew. Now, we've got to understand uh, that at least when it comes to gluttony, that the short-term pleasure is not worth the long-term suffering. But that doesn't always stop us, does it? Even when we realize this. And in, in greater ways, I mean, we all know people who have made bad decisions and continue to suffer in the consequences of those decisions today. Uh, some of you know that. Uh, some of you today that maybe you can recall, maybe most of us can recall a moment where we made a decision and we're still enduring the effects of it today. Our choices have consequences. Our choices will always have consequences, and some of those consequences will follow us around for the rest of our lives while here on this earth. But there's hope for us. See, there's good news for us, and maybe for some of you today that, that find yourself here, and maybe, uh, maybe you're regretting some choices that you've made recently or whatever. There's hope for us. There's good news, and that is that if the story of your life is all about some poor decisions that you've made, and you've been suffering in those uh, consequences. The good news for you today is this. It comes from 1 John uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 8. John writes, if we claim to be without sin, uh, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. He's saying, hey, we all sin. Hey, you, you can be encouraged in the, to know today that if you're here, maybe for the first time, we all sin, every single one of us. But, but here's the gospel. Here's the good news for us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he, our God, our Father, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He goes on to say, if we, we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's go back to that obedience slide again. See, disobedience results in a short-term pleasure, but ultimately long-term suffering. 
But when we choose obedience, we potentially deprive ourselves, and we may suffer short-term, but ultimately, there's long-term joy that comes from it. There's long-term joy uh, that comes uh, from our obedience. We may give up a temporary pleasure. Again, we, we, we said sin can be fun in the short term, but when we give up that fun, while we might be suffering, the long-term result is joy. The long-term benefit is we find joy. And so Jesus learned this. And as he suffered, he learned obedience. And as Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 reminds us, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Now listen to this. For the joy set before him, that's the long-term result, the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right-hand throne of God. See, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He looked past the short-term suffering and kept his eyes on the joy that was to come. Now, there's a promise for you and me, too, in our lives, in the way that we live our lives today. Again, as Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. All right, that's the long-term results of disobedience. But here's the good news. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here's what we can learn about obedience from the life of Jesus. Because he became fully human for us, um, Jesus didn't always, I, I think it's true that Jesus didn't always know uh, the plan that his father had for him, uh, for his life, for the entirety. I mean, this wasn't downloaded uh, into his hard drive from the very beginning, but scripture reveals that it, it was revealed to him over time. I mean, in the book of John, we repeatedly uh, see where Jesus says, you know, I'm watching my father. I am learning from my father. I am going to prayer now so I can understand what this next move is. And so he's being taught, he's learning, and he's growing in wisdom in stature. It's kind of like this. Let me, let me illustrate it like this. When we, when we take a trip, um, there are map people and there are GPS people. And uh, if you're a map person, you probably have one of these, uh, like me, like us, where the cover has been ripped off because the cover only lasts for a couple of weeks. Uh, but if you're a map person, which I, I, I like to say that I'm a map purpose, and in fact, how many of you are map? Uh, there, yep, see, that's how it works uh, for us. How many, we got some map, how many of you are GPS people? All right, okay, so we, we've got a few more maybe on the GPS side. Well, if you're a map person uh, like me, you like seeing the big picture, all right? You, you like, you like kind of scoping out, you know, where you're going, how you're going to get there, making those decisions for yourself, uh, looking at the possibilities that could come up, finding a contingency plan uh, when maybe things don't go the way that you would like. And so uh, there are map people, that's how map people operate, but then there are also GPS people. Now, the difference with the GPS is you, you don't get to see necessarily the big picture picture. I mean, you, if you've got the uh, audio on, you're just listening for the next step. And so when you're five miles out, you're told, you know, hey, in five miles, you're going to take this right. And when you mess up, you wait for the frigid little British lady to kind of get you back on course or, or whatever. And, uh, and so uh, there are the GPS people and the map people. And if you're a map person, well, the GPS can be hard. I, I think, and here's what I think we see in Jesus, God operates more like a GPS than a map. Uh, for us. Uh, he, he rarely shows us the whole journey, uh, and with good reason. I, I think for most of us, I think if we saw the whole journey, I, I think if you saw everything that you were going to go through and endure in your life, we, we'd back out. We'd get cold feet. We, we'd give up. We'd say, you know what, it's too hard. But if we trust him, if we set our sights and set our hearts on trusting him, even with just the next step, 
He has promised. He is always faithful to show us the next one after that. When we trust him with the next one, he's promised, I'll show you the one even after that. And then the very next one after that. I think about how he's done this in my life. You know, a little over seven years ago, Jenny and I, we were serving at a church in Louisville, Kentucky, and just kind of praying about next steps. And uh, Genesis Church called. And I, I got to tell you, it was never my driving ambition to be a lead pastor of a church. I did not feel qualified for such a role. And so when the call came, you know, we, I, I don't want to say we agreed reluctantly. It was out of faith. There was a lot of trust involved for all of you too, you know, and, and welcoming us on, on board here. And so you know, even as I was thinking about obedience this past week and all of the times that I've messed up in that, I, I think about the Lord's faithfulness and just trusting him day by day, step by step, moment by moment, choice by choice. You know, even today and thinking about our church, just wondering what's ahead, what's next year for us, what's five years for us, what's it look like just every day to say we're going to set our hearts on trusting the Lord uh, with all things. And we're just going to ask him to keep leading us and keep trusting us. You know, that's why I believe Jesus for most of his life uh, didn't know how the story, you know, was going to ultimately come to an end. I think there was a point where God revealed that to him, but just like us, he had to be perfectly obedient to every step, even when he couldn't see the end. Today, I want to share with you uh, the story of a family from our church. Uh, they're an ordinary family just like uh, yours and mine, but one that God asked to take an extraordinary step of obedience. Uh, check this out. him early on because he was a drug dealer so he was in jail he was in prison down in Texas and my mother moved us back up to Indiana um, I saw a lot of she was really a mess too so like I started out with really bad roots and he, began, he really struggled with addictions he always found doctors that would give him the medication that um, would keep him just pretty well sedated from life and it was really hard uh, I got pregnant really young and um, never really had that support system with him, so I've been pretty independent from my father all my adult life. Um, six years ago, my stepmother was found dead uh, over, from a morphine overdose, and I had a really good relationship with her, and that was probably one of the most heartbreaking moments that I'd had to do. And he was such a mess. <laughs> And I don't think that I ever got over that he wasn't there for her. She was dead for hours before anyone found her. So after she died, we had a really, really estranged relationship and I would try to go over there and half the time you just never knew if he was gonna be passed out or not. On Memorial Weekend, I got a call from my sister and she said that my dad and my two brothers had been arrested. Um, they had kicked in the door um, and assaulted a girl over some missing money. I was furious because I have a 19-year-old brother who has never been in any kind of trouble, just out of high school. And my other brother has three kids at home and a girlfriend. And my dad is the leader of the pack. And he took them all out on this escapade and they're all in jail. 
And I remember I went to church that Sunday and I was so angry about it and the worship team was singing and I was sitting there and I was just crying. Um, and it was really placed heavily on my heart at that moment that I could either continue with being angry at him and being bitter or I could just show him love and compassion um, that Jesus always taught us. So I decided that I was going to do that and I never asked for and I'm sorry, I never asked him to explain why drugs were always more important than his family. Um, I just would send him encouraging letters and I would go and visit. Um, we would, I'd give him money on his books and, you know, ask if he needed anything. I got a call from him advising me that he had been found collapsed on the cell floor and that he had end-stage pancreatic cancer. We went up that weekend to visit him and um, were told at that point that he had six to 12 weeks to live. I asked him if I could bring him home to take care of him. And through that, I think that God really offered a time for me to love my father unconditionally without any expectations and really be able to have peace with the relationship that I had had with him and really just be thankful. And then six and a half weeks later, he died in our home. Because I followed what the Holy Spirit placed on my heart three months before, I was able to be able to say goodbye to him and find peace in our relationship um, to close that final door that a year and a half ago I would have never had that opportunity to do. such an extraordinary story and uh, one that isn't uh, fully written yet and their loss is still fresh. I mean, her dad just passed away a few weeks ago, but uh, because of their obedience, I mean, man, she got some precious time with her dad and that she wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And, and the gift that she received in that was at least reconciliation with her dad before he passed uh, from this earth. But if they had not, if she had not been obedient in that moment where the Lord showed her the next step, she would have missed it and missed a chance to heal that relationship. And um, I think that she would, would tell you today that uh, would have regretted an opportunity missed like that. It all happened for her because they were willing to obey. As a family, they were willing to obey. They had a choice and they chose to obey. You and I always have a choice, a choice to obey. But remember, obedience isn't the goal, all right? I mean, the Pharisees were obedient but had all the wrong motives in their obedience. An intimate relationship with God is the goal for us. Loving God because he has loved us is the goal for us. In fact, you can write this down as we close out. Maybe the most important thing uh, that I hope that you'll take away with you today, that is that you can, you can obey God and not love him, but you can't love him and not obey. Uh, you can obey God and not love him, but you can't love him and not obey. Let me ask you, where, where is God calling you to obedience today? Uh, what's that look like for you in his life? Where is he working in your life right now, trying to make you more and more like Jesus? You know, as we head into this final song, um, I, I'd love for you to just bow your heads right now and for us just to take a moment together in prayer uh, and just comp contemplate, you know, even that thought for a moment. Uh, maybe you would just pray today. Maybe you just bow your heads and just pray and just ask this question, Lord, what do you want to do in my life right now? Uh, Lord, where are you leading me? What are you asking me to do? Or maybe for you right now, maybe the question is, what do you, what, what, maybe you need to ask the Lord, what, what is it that you want me to stop doing? Uh, for some of us, it's obvious. 
You know, for some of you, it's the same thing you've been praying for years. Uh, for others, it might, be, it might mean putting God uh, in a brand new place in your heart. But maybe today he wants to lead you to a place of obedience, maybe a place that's a little bit out of your comfort zone. Just ask that question, Lord, what do you want to do in me today? And then the question we need to ask is, will I trust him? Do I trust him? Do I love him? Do I, do I love the one? Do I love him who gave his son, who gave of his life for me? Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord uh, with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. And so, Lord, we want to pray that today. Lord, that's what we want to voice. That's what we want to say with our hearts and in our actions, Father, that we trust you. We want to trust you, and we're going to trust that you're going to, you're going to mark out our path today and how we should live and how we should follow. But until then, and through that, Lord, with every step and with every moment, we want to choose to obey you. Give us the faith to obey you. Give us the power to obey you. Lord, we want to trust you. We want to love you with all of our hearts and obey you as a way of saying we love you and we want to honor you and we're living for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.